Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Bruce, do you have any new Trader Joe's products you've discovered recently? Well, Stu. Do you mind if I hop in here, guys? Because I've got one. Okay, John Hayes, okay, our John producer. John Hayes, has one. our producer. Okay, it's, it's, it's pool season. It's coming. Beach season is coming. People are watching their carbs. All you need to do is go to Trader Joe's. You get the pre-made cauliflower pizza crust. You can't even tell the difference. Bring that home. Throw some mozzarella tomato sauce on there, and you're in business, too. I didn't realize you were such a health nut, John. I, you know, I do like to eat healthy. I just like to find shortcuts here and there, especially when pool season and beach season is coming around. Good enough. I, uh, I, I sure hope we have a pool and beach season this year. Uh, how's that for a morbid segue? Um, so... When Bruce and I were deciding what to talk about on the Audible this week, it, we kind of both agreed it's hard to ignore the uh, elephant in the room is not even a, the best way to put it. Um, coronavirus is just all anybody is talking about right now, and and I, I don't think we can just pretend it's not happening and talk, just have our regular old college conver- college football conversation. And uh, as it turns out, I, about 10 minutes before we started recording, Bruce, comes the official word it's been a week full of just like head spinning week full of announcements of cancellations and whatnot that officially the ncaa tournament which starts next week will be played with no fans in the stands you and i have been talking offline about this for two weeks i think we knew this was coming and yet it's still i I don't because how much the ncaa tournament means to me and having watched it all my life and having covered it i'm not sure there's anything that could that that more puts into perspective the scope, the magnitude of what we're living through right now than the fact that the NCAA tournament is going to be played in empty arenas. That's wild. It is. I I think it's hard for a lot of people because we we view our own, you know, basically our livelihoods and everything else through the prism of whatever we're most into, right? And so I think unless you know somebody who's been directly impacted by this, and look, this thing is seems to be moving pretty fast. Um, I think this is the first way for a lot of people it's resonated. Now, look, you live in Northern California uh, and are on the West Coast, and I think it probably had more of a an awareness to this and probably tracked it probably longer than I have and maybe longer than a lot of our listeners have. Um, and I think if you're in an area where it's one of those areas that's been a has been somewhat of a hot spot, certainly if you're in, around the University of Washington and where the nursing home in Kirkland, Washington, it became such a devastating issue or has been, I think then it's probably high on your radar. But for a lot of our listeners, it might not have been. And so I think what you've seen on social media a lot is people going, OK, this is a overreaction. Their schools are doing this or you know, they're, they're going to online classes and this thing has picked up a lot of speed and a lot of momentum just in the last couple of days as we're taping this on what day is it, Stu? Is it Tuesday? Is it Wednesday? I don't even know. It's Wednesday. It's all blending together. Yeah. So obviously, I mean, coronavirus first became, uh, diagnosed in, in China, I believe in early January. 
And so for the first, I don't know, month, month and a half, it's like, oh, that's happening far away. Then it then it did come to the U.S., but the numbers were so small, I don't think it really, people were taking it all that seriously yet. It does feel like this was the week where it became much more real to people. Now, if you're living in a part of the country where there haven't been any cases yet, maybe you're looking at it like, what are you, you guys are all overreacting, this is crazy, uh, blah, blah, blah. Here, in, in, I live in Santa Clara County, California. There's like 40-something cases now. Somebody has died from it. But it was two, just two nights ago, it seems like a million years ago now, that, the, that they came out and said they were going to prohibit uh, events of 1,000 people or more, which is basically no more San Jose Sharks home games um, and a couple other things. And at the time, they were kind of out on an island on that. And then here we are less than 48 hours later in the NCAA tournament is not going to have uh, spectators. And, um, you know, in our world, in spring football, we're starting to see more and more schools where they're telling this, you know, a lot of schools have already gone to online-only classes, and now some of them are telling the students not to come back after spring break, which we're all kind of only in the early days of figuring this all out, but is clearly going to impact, you know, whether schools can even have spring practice uh, or how many practices they can do. The Ivy League has... First, they canceled their basketball tournament. Now they're canceling all. Then they canceled spring practices, and now they've canceled all of their spring sports. So it's just it's moving faster than we can possibly keep up with uh, in terms of the news as it relates to the sports part of it. But um, you know, this has been you know, this is a kind of a scary time and uh, and a confusing time for a lot of people. You and I have been texting about it relentlessly. I've been reaching out to other friends. Who either, I mean, we have a couple friends, mutual friends, who have whose spouses are involved in this line of work. My own spouse works for a company and is involved in there. How they've been, what their company should do, whether they should tell people to work from home, et cetera, et cetera. So I feel like I've been kind of living this for a little bit longer, maybe than most people, uh, certainly in our country, and it's been very anxiety provoking. I do, I. I I am. I think I, it's starting to make more sense to me now than maybe it did a week ago. But how have you been trying to process all this? Well, I think it's hard to to kind of go through it and look at it through the prism of social media, which is pretty much what we do with everything, right? I, mm-hmm. In this day and age, and so you get this sort of echo chamber, and I feel like there's a certain chunk of people who are. I don't know, there's an area where it's dependent on your perspective, whether you are looking at it as concerned or alarmed. And so there's that. I think, look, I think one of the things, and I'm curious how some of our listeners feel, I'm curious how John feels, because our producer John, who's who's in a younger than us, um, you know, I mean, do you look at it differently as a parent uh, you know, as a you know, a parent and as somebody with a family, then you do. I mean, certainly you do for in terms of the ramifications if there's school closures and what that does to your 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 daily life. But I also think um, you worry about exposures and different things like that. I remember when I was in my 20s and even in my you know 30s, there was a lot of stuff I didn't worry about that I worry about now. Um, so there's that element just from. You know, and this is not a fair, certainly an apples to apples example, but when you think of of national, you know, world crises or national crises, I mean, I lived in New York City through 9-11, um, but the difference with that, and I'm not trying to say, 
you know, we know that was a massive tragedy and it changed a lot of people's lives um, and how they how they looked at things. But in the case of that, that just happened. There was no build up to it. It happened. There was nothing about, um, you know, this, even though it feels like it's been, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, one long day. And it, it's also things like seems like things are happening fast because now they're they're ramping up. I think because there's been this, um, I don't know what to call it. Just it's a little bit eerie of of you're watching this in real time, and you're seeing people tweeting about, it and you're seeing people, you know, seeing people dismiss it. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people who saw it being dismissed or poo pooed, or hey, it's just like the flu, or you know, this many people die from the flu, and you know, I did feel like well, I don't know where we are. We're in kind of uncharted waters on this. I hope those people are right, but what happens if they're wrong? I mean, you know, I think where I was probably not where you were in terms of my feeling on it, but what changed for me a little bit was the numbers in Italy, you know, like two days earlier from when we're taping this, um, Italy seemed seemed to be in, in the numbers where we were like 10 days earlier, and then all of a sudden, like two days ago, they're basically the country's on lockdown. And that's you know obviously we're a different country in a, in a in a different way than than italy is but um you, i don't think you can just ignore some of the things that are that have gone on and now you see some of the comments that some of the leadership in europe um from i guess the chancellor of germany made this morning as we're taping this was just like whoa that's a you know it's talking about 60 or 70 percent of the people may get it and for a lot of of that 60 and 70 percent i'm sure it could be just a runny nose or maybe they have no symptoms of it but for other people it could be could be devastating so i don't i i don't know what it you know where we're headed i just know that you know you can't put your head in the sand about it first of all you're right about how different it is to experience this at, at our stage of life versus when you're younger there have been a lot of references to um, swine flu and SARS and, and I remember when those things happened I don't remember paying any particularly close attention to them because they just felt like they didn't whoa, apply whoa, to me. Wait, wait, wait. Wasn't swine flu in like the nineteen early 1900s? No, it was 10 years ago. <laughs> what? No, it was in 2009. Else. What was in 1918? What was the there was a that... There was a flu pandemic in 1918 but swine flu uh, H1N1 was in 2009 it, uh, I mean, frankly, it, it, it I had not, I had completely forgotten about it until it started coming back up in relation to this. Shouldn't laugh about it. Um, but it also wasn't deadly like this is. Um, look, there's a lot of misinformation out there, and I've been finding myself getting increasingly angry, as you've noticed. Uh, thank you, John Hayes. The Spanish flu of 1918 is, was that one. Um, First of all, you mentioned 9-11 earlier. Thank God there was no Twitter then. I, I just can't even imagine the, the level of misinformation and, and, and paranoia and whatever else you want to call it would have been. We would have gone through then um, on top of what we were already going through. But uh, in terms of this, it's taken me probably a week or two to get to this point of like kind of realizing the distinction. But I'll, I'll, I put this at the end of the mailbag. I'll lay it out here. Um, I'm not like all that scared personally about getting uh, coronavirus. Um, if I were in a high risk group, obviously I would be. Uh, 
I'm washing my hands. I'm doing all the things people say you should do. Um, as a family, we've decided to, before all these things started getting banned, we had already decided we were going to try to avoid large crowds. Um, but here's the thing. Like, these things can both be true. A, you know, you're probably, you as a healthy adult are probably not much more at risk from this than you are from the flu, okay? Or if you get it, it's going to feel like the flu. That's probably true based on what we've read or what we know about it and, uh, and, and point taken. The reason the NCAA tournament is going to be without fans, the reason uh, the, the various health uh, officials you know, or, or government agencies or, or um, health commissions have been urging people to, to stay away from large crowds is not because, you know, not to be alarmist, not to be like, uh, you know, there's not some big media conspiracy to scare everybody into going into a bunker. It's, it's literally they've seen what happened in China. They saw what happened in Italy. This is based on, I'm not a, I don't claim to be an expert on this. I'm reading the articles from people who are. And basically, the quicker you act to contain the spread, the less chance it's going to just overwhelm our health system and then and get to a point that had this happened in those countries where more people are sick than there are hospital beds available for them or ventilators. And that's when this becomes a, a true, true tragedy. And it may still happen, unfortunately. It may be that we're too late. But it is frankly, I would rather be overcautious and have an NCAA tournament without fans, as surreal as that may be, than to bury our heads in the sands, pretend everything's going to be fine, and end up having a huge national tragedy. So both things can be true. I hope what I'm saying makes sense. You yourself are not necessarily at a huge risk to this. You should not be holed up in a bunker. You should go about your daily life. Just make sure to wash your hands a lot. But there are still very valid reasons to be taking these seemingly extreme measures of closing down basketball arenas because even if you're healthy, you could go to that, go to that game, get infected, go out into your world and infect a bunch of other people. It's highly contagious. And I do think it's important to make that distinction. I don't know. I thought it would help to just talk it out a little bit on the podcast. I'm sure people listening are processing it in their own way. Um, but all I can say, I you know, I don't want to sound preachy, but like, please, please take this seriously. It's not a media creation. Um, there are legitimate public health reasons why these events are being shut down. Doesn't mean that you yourself are in huge peril, but just do your part that's all i would ask people do your part do what the health officials are telling us to do to try to contain the spread because you may not be at risk but if you are in contact with elderly people or people with underlying conditions and you may inadvertently infect them like that's what we're trying to avoid here so that's my two cents um why don't we open the mailbag and get back to talking about stuff we theoretically uh, at where we theoretically do know what we're talking about Back to the podcast in just a minute, but first a word from DoorDash. Delivery is more than just pizza in 2020. With a selection of your favorite flavors from across the globe, you can order world cuisine from the comfort of your living room with DoorDash. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. With DoorDash, you'll never have to worry about your next meal. And right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code audible that's five dollars off your first order when you download the doordash app in the app store and enter code audible so don't forget that's code audible for five dollars off your first order 
with DoorDash. Now back to the podcast. Uh, as always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. First question, Stu, what have you got? All right, from David of Charlotte. Hi, Stu and Bruce. I don't know if you closely, how closely you follow recruiting, but UNC is cleaning up right now, currently ranked number four on 24-7 sports for the 2021 class. They've received three commitments over the weekend, including flipping QB Drake May from Alabama. He's Luke May, the former UNC basketball player's brother. I know it is early and a lot of big boys don't have as many commitments as UNC presently does, but how high do you think this class can finish? Do you think Mac Brown will be able to bring in top 10 classes regularly to truly be able to compete with Clemson? I would just note to David before you answer this that our own Ari Wasserman went to Chapel Hill and wrote a story about this that you can find on The Athletic. I think that this is a really big opportunity for for the Tar Heels right now. So you have a hot quarterback that they pulled away from Florida State, who is a longtime commitment there. Sam Howell had a terrific uh, freshman season. Uh, the offense they run is a variation of the air raid. And so Phil Longo was a good hire for, I think Mac Brown did a good job with staff hire, which we both agreed on when he was doing it. But so I think you're going to see a prolific offense. And I think especially in that conference where basically it's Clemson and then there's a big, huge drop off. If the Tar Heels can get some momentum, I think you will get a lot of people feeling like because already I think there's a lot of people who are kind of open to Mac Brown as 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 uh, they're kind of falling in love with the story of here's Mac Brown has kind of got his energy back he, he had kind of burned out at Texas at the end the program really went south and now look Mac Brown recruited extrep- exceptionally well not just when he was at Texas but even when he was at UNC before he left to go to Austin so I definitely think there's a big opportunity there. And certainly, um, you know, people have recruited well there before, not just Mac. Uh, Butch Davis did too. There's a lot to sell there. So I think there's a, there's a big chance there, especially if they continue to win on the field. Give Mac a lot of credit. I was skeptical when he was hired, just like I was skeptical of Les Miles. Then I saw the staff he was building, and I thought, huh, this has got potential. And we always knew he could recruit. You know, he was he was fantastic recruiter at Texas, but he's not in a state that's quite as loaded as Texas. He's doing great. He's off to a great start. Obviously, like you said, the excitement about Sam Howell. Um, we'll see where it goes from here. I would just say that in those two, four, seven rankings, oftentimes you'll see a, you know, quote unquote, surprise team start out strong like this. And then by the time you get to the end and everybody has about the same number of commitments, it they come back to earth a little bit. Uh so I don't think you'll see them and finish with a top five class, but certainly a stronger class than we're used to seeing from UNC. Uh, Jamie Starrett, if you had to name the five biggest factors in Florida State's downfall recently, what would they be? And have we ever seen a traditional powerhouse fall like this um, over or under five years till they're back in the final four? I mean, to that last part, we see traditional powerhouses fall like this all the time. Yeah, I, I can name you three uh, off the top of my head. The first factor is missed on evaluation talent-wise. You know, they missed certainly on the O-line. I think another thing that hurt, and this goes back to the end of the Jimbo Fisher run or towards the end, was they took a they rolled the dice on a lot of shaky character guys. And especially at a position where usually character is premium, and that's quarterback. I mean, a lot of those guys turn out to be, you know, even if they weren't necessarily skills-wise busts, 
they were character busts and they didn't last. And I think that hurts and it also hurts because it affects usually the leadership in the locker room. So that that was a two part of it. And then I think the third thing was um, they got overtaken by Clemson as the top dog in the league. And I think all that momentum, Clemson became the hot school and and Jimbo really had it backslide. And then they had a transition to Willie Taggart and that never got any momentum from the first game on. It just seemed like he was digging out of a hole. And I think you and I both think Mike Norvell will do well there. I just, again, a little bit like like uh, some other schools, what is, what is doing well there? I mean, if Mike Norvell goes you know, nine and four a couple of times and mixes in one ten one season and then goes, you know, in my mind, where um, where I think Florida State is. Now, they're, they're much different position because they have a great recruiting base, unlike Nebraska. But if, you know, Bo Pelini, if, if you go nine and four a bunch of times at Florida State, that's not going to be good enough, not in that league and not with that history. So um, I think those are the, the biggest factors of why it went south. And now we got to see if you can go momentum. Do you have any other thoughts on why it just kind of like fell apart of late well if you go back i mean i agree with everything you just said i think if you go back even a little bit further than that there are some who would say that they kind of that jimbo kind of sold his soul with Jameis winston um he obviously delivered a national title and a great season again the next year but the amount of stuff that came with it and you know seemingly the double standard or even triple standard by which he was treated and uh by him you know uh throughout that time like that can that can affect a program's culture right other players see what's going on it there usually like, does i can not i can respect the leadership yeah i can give you an example of something similar and it's actually at the school jimbo's at now i mean texas a&m for for you know maybe lack of a better uh, analogy flew flew a little too close to the sun when johnny manzel was there johnny was a a rocket ship of talent and made a lot of stuff happen and they had a top five season but you know, it, it, let's be honest. I mean, Johnny Manziel wasn't Joe Burrow in terms of how he ha- led the program, or he wasn't. You know, you can name any one of these quarterbacks who's probably been a successful leader and everything else, and do all the things the right way. Whether it's you know, you can go to Tim Tebow or whoever. That wasn't him, and I think that eventually can undermine the rest of the locker room. And I think your point about Jameis, and I'm not saying Jameis did the stuff Johnny did, but I, I think that is a real issue when your quarterback is 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 not the kind of character guy, leader guy, that it's, that's going to get the locker room sooner or later. Yep, and so I think that things then started to turn for the worse, and now first Willie Taggart and now Mike Norvell is tasked with trying to dig back out of that. Okay, Stu, our next question comes from Long Beach. It is Arnoldo Trujillo. Arnoldo says, Stu. He says, in the wake of the recent Houston Astros cheating accusations, he went back and reread your piece on sign stealing in college football. He says, when I first read it, I thought it was just part of the game within the game. Now I'm torn. It feels like, the, it feels like one more area where the schools that are considered the haves can dedicate more resources than the have-nots to tilt the field in their favor just a little bit more. While it's a gray area, baseball seems to have landed on the idea that using technology to seal signs in real time is crossing the line. Where do you guys think such a line exists in the college football world? What a great question. Uh, I think this would be crossing the line. Uh, signal stealing. It's 
I think it's been going on so long. And if you can be somebody who can crack the code, I mean, the amazing thing, like the thing that kind of blew my mind was talking to somebody who played with the Colts and they were talking about the O-line coach and how he was able to do it. And it's one thing when, especially at that level, where the other teams know who the guy is and they still eventually can't stop him from doing what he's doing. I mean, that's something. So, um, you know, you hear it a lot about it, about signal stealing and you're like well why don't they change the signals every week and it's like well some of these you know these are college kids and some of them can't learn that um you know i remember i did that x xfl that um nflpa game and and i'm on the sideline and um brian cox the old great miami dolphins linebacker is the linebacker coach in the game and i'm you know there it's like an xfl access so we're walking around and and Brian Cox was like, puts his hand up like he's air drawing. He goes, if they do this, that's a draw. That's what that means. And I was just like, yeah, that's pretty obvious. You know, and it's like, because you don't have much time to teach those guys intricate signals. If it comes to something else where you're talking about filming people's practices or something where it is, feel, drifts into what, I don't know, espionage is like an overstatement, but where it feels like you're really gathering intel or doing something that, that feels a lot more nefarious um, then I think it's probably something that the leagues need to step in on if those complaints are made and, and investigate. It would be interesting to see how uh, college football would handle an Astros-type scandal because, as you know, there's no equivalent of the Major League Baseball commissioner to like lead the charge on. It would probably fall under the, the conference that that school is in. And uh, I don't know. I don't have much faith... I don't have much faith that anybody would handle it correctly. I saw somebody, I want to give the proper credit, but I can't remember who tweeted that, There, you know, if, if this coronavirus thing had to happen, glad it's happening to the NCAA tournament because the NCAA, say what you want about the rest of their organization, knows how to run a big event versus college football where nobody would have any idea what to do. They would all be arguing with each other. Um, it, it would be a total chaos, and that's how I feel about that as well. Um from Jack in Erie, Pennsylvania. Hey guys, love the show. Particularly like the bumper music. It reminds me of the '90s. Thanks, Jack, and thanks. And uh, is Jack yeah, related think, to you, Stu? Be honest. No, but the person who recorded that song is. I know it's been That's a couple why I of years. Ask if so Jack is related to you. Yeah, just a little little uh, reminder or fresher course. Uh, Kevin in the octaves who recorded that song, "Dangerous." My brother is part of that band. That's why and, Jack uh, in Erie, Pennsylvania is going to be getting probably a lot more athletic swag than, than Max Olson and Nicole. <laughs> well, Howard maybe he could get that's... a Kevin in the Octaves t-shirt. You know, I don't know how interested he is in athletic swag. But it reminds me of the 90s. Well, that was that was my peak music years, right? Like everybody's musical tastes peak when they're like 20 years old. Uh, and uh, and that is specific. that song that he recorded for me, I'll just tell you right now, the instructions I gave him, this was back in 2017 when we were restarting this thing back up. I said, can you record an intro song that sounds a little bit like late 90s, early 2000s Weezer? So based on this, he he nailed it. Um, which has Notre Dame admitted, nothing, which is like, can you can you record music that Bruce has never heard of? Zero <laughs> interest in because he's my podcast host. And I mean, I was since I was the one leading the charge on that. I feel like I got to dictate what kind of music. I mean, if you want to for Audible 3.0, if you want to choose an Earth, Wind, and Fire type sounding song, like you know, I will fully concede that it's your turn. Okay, fair enough. Notre Dame admittedly had a weak home schedule last year, but their ratings on NBC were the worst in over a decade. 
Does it make sense for NBC to re-up with Notre Dame given that Notre Dame could make more money and given that Notre Dame could make more money in a conference, does it make sense for them to re-up with NBC? Uh, for the second part, you know, that's that that goes to the much deeper question of obviously of is it smart for Notre Dame to remain an independent? And, and oodles and oodles have been written about that. Pete Sampson, our own Notre Dame writer, I thought, if you, if you ever want to, if, if you've ever been wondering, like, why why do they continue to do this? It doesn't seem like it's in their financial interest. I would strongly recommend finding that article he wrote last summer as part of our realignment series. It does a very good job of explaining that they don't really care that they make less money from their NBC deal uh, than they would as like a Big Ten member. Um, I think they really do like the exclusivity of it and being its own brand. And and I think that's always appealed to them. The other thing about it is, I remember there was a comment, I want to say it was Rick Riley who made it. And I guarantee if I asked John Walters right now, he would know who made it, was Notre Dame football is irrelevant. And look, even when Notre Dame's bad, they're not irrelevant. Um, but they're not as big as they were like back when you started covering college football or maybe before it. Like, and this isn't, I don't think, just a function of Lou Holtz. I just think it's the college football world is much different now than it was in 1985, in 1988, and even in 1990. And so. 2002. Well, it's way different. Yeah, certainly. And I think that Notre Dame football is still a big deal. It's just not like what you know the gap between uh notre dame football what it was compared to what it is in the in the landscape of everything else now it's just it's just not the same and so it's still a viable tv property but i mean if you ask somebody um who is not like a diehard alabama or sec fan and is not a diehard notre dame fan and say you don't like you don't get NBC like it wasn't somehow on your pack TV package or whatnot. Um, you can be a college football fan and not watch a Notre Dame game all year. I mean, if you're a, you could be a big college football fan and not watch one unless they get to the playoff in one of those given years. Correct? You disagree? Yeah, there. I mean, that NBC package really can swing wildly from one year to the next based on how good Notre Dame is and how good the schedule is next year. You're going to want NBC this coming season because Clemson is playing there on November 7th. And, you know, we assume Clemson will be taking playoff and national championship hopes into that game, whether Notre Dame is or not. So, but last year, it seemed like all their good games were on the road. And in fact, to the point that they are still a big TV draw, that George, I mean, CBS moved the Georgia Notre Dame game to prime time at the expense of the, what would end up being a one versus two. Um, LSU Alabama game and it got a huge number and Georgia was a part of that but I mean if it had been Georgia against you know name name random team X in prime time it wouldn't have done what it did uh, because Notre Dame was involved uh, but to the first point about NBC yeah I mean with each passing year having rights to live sporting events and in, in particular the most popular sporting events is more and more important so unless NBC is going to be able to get themselves one of the other conference packages sometimes in the next few years. Yeah, I would think they'll want to hold on to Notre Dame because right now it's the only college football they have. Um, and maybe it doesn't drive as huge a numbers as ESPN or Fox's packages, but I bet it does better than most of uh, what else they could be showing during that window. 
Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a minute. First, a word from our newest sponsor, The Black Tux. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or a tuxedo for their big day. Did you know The Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? Stu, could you imagine somebody with bad fitting clothes? I don't think so. Anyhow... Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tuck shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. The place is pretty terrible unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day. So we left. What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick up a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it out one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your tux or suit at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with code CFB10. That's theblacktux.com, code CFB10 for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment, and now back to the podcast. This one, before we get to the question he asks, this is, this is really odd. Dear Bruce and Stu, this just says from Sam. I wish Sam gave some more bio details here. Dear Bruce and Stu, your podcast is a highlight of my feed, and I'm grateful when it pops up, and to you for making it. Your chemistry is so odd. Good friends who don't respect one another at all. This is a space most podcasts would want to avoid, but you make it work. I can't tell if he's being sarcastic or serious. And if it is serious, that's certainly not the vibe we're going for. Hmm. Do you ever feel that way, Stu? That's what I should ask you. That that you're a good friend who I don't respect at all? No. No, that is that is not the case. I think what he's picking up on is... We rib each other from time to time. We make fun of each other's predictions or coaches' rankings or whatnot. But that's not out of lack of respect. That's two people who've known each other for 20 years and like to give each other crap sometimes. Yeah, I think, you know, and it's weird because I had this when I was at CBS a little bit with Brian Jones, um, former Texas linebacker and NFL linebacker, where I remember coming off the set once and one of the producers was like, I think people think you guys hate each other. Could you like tone it down? And hmm. I think that might be a little bit of a function of either my personality where it's like sometimes people can't tell um, where that is. And, you know, certainly on a podcast, it's a it's a it's not a visual medium anyway. So but um, I, I definitely think there's there's a little of that. Uh, but I think if we really hated each other. I think it wouldn't have. I think uh, I think I would have left you behind at at Fox, and I don't think I would have restarted this. <laughs> I started this when no one else was there. That would be a really hard podcast to listen to. Uh, this is the question: if there's a if there's football said on that, the screen, Stu, I do feel like um, since since it was Joe who said this, right? Sam, Sam, sorry, Sam. Uh, since Sam brought it up, I would like to point out that I think some of our most listened to episodes have been Stu Free. 
I was wondering where this was headed. I was a little scared. You went there. Um, yeah, the Manny Diaz. You're talking about the Ma- the Manny Diaz one, right? Yeah, you were sipping my ties somewhere on a beach, and I was I was grinding. You know, I was working. So, is this some along. sort of negotiating ploy that, like, going forward you <laughs> with know, John you, Hayes? I'm afraid not. Yeah, you, it is. Be, I need to go back to junior <laughs> college. <laughs> um, point taken. Uh, we. Uh, you know, we we just devoted five minutes to this, and I have a funny feeling Sam, whoever you are, was was making a joke. We am wrong. Here's this question: If there's a football screen, say at the airport, and it's a sp- if there is football on a screen, say at an airport on a Saturday or Sunday, I find it immediately obvious if the game is college or pro. Is it the uniforms? Pittsburgh and Iowa are easy to mix up, but otherwise are the uniforms distinct? Is it the lines on the field? Maybe the size of the players? Or maybe it's just me. I've wondered about this for ages, but you said on your podcast, last podcast you needed questions. That's true. We got a deluge of questions this week. And he's right. Like, if you were passing through an airport, looked up on a screen, and saw a football game going on, right, you would immediately know whether it's college or pro without necessarily even knowing who's playing. Yeah, I mean, it might be, you know, the hash marks would be a good giveaway. Uh, he's right about the uniforms because even there's like another one that's like oh like you know there's some that kind of that kind of blend together um, it's not the size of the players because certainly there's some college teams that are every bit as you know have as big of bodies but uh, you know I, I do think it's the uniforms you don't see you know like whatever TCU or Oregon you don't see that in the NFL you might see a, something like that in the XFL but I think it's more the uniforms I could if it's not the hash marks, it's got to be just the uniforms and kind of the, the feel. Because I don't think you would be able to pick it up if I was in an airport bar walking by because you're not listening to it. You're just kind of looking at it. And if you were somebody it, who didn't know the teams, I think you wouldn't be able to really distinguish the style of play enough. It's funny he brought up that specific example because I could swear last year there was a uh, either a Steelers game or an Iowa game. I don't remember which. Where they? No, I think it was a Steelers game, and they were wearing some sort of alternate uniforms. And I was like, "Geez, they look exactly like Iowa right now." Um, this may be too obvious an explanation, but I think it's the score bugs. If you watch these games regularly, right, you've come to recognize the score bug, the graphic that ESPN uses for college football or CBS uses for college football, and it's different than the ones they use for the NFL. That fine. I, I often am walking through the airport on a Sunday after covering, or like on a Sunday night after covering college football game. And the end, and and Sunday Night Football NBC has a very distinctive graphic that you don't see on Saturdays. Is that too obvious? Well, they're also in the case of that Sunday NFL Sunday NBC is using way more cameras. It's way more high tech. Uh, I'm sure there's a broadcast that's like the uh, you know the G Crew or whatever, where it's way, it's probably less lower budget, but it's still probably comparable. Even if it's only going to like four percent of the country, it's still probably comparable to a lot of the broadcasts you may you may see when you flip around on Saturdays. There's no real way to do this experiment because obviously the games are played on different days. You know, like no, nobody. I mean, at the end of the day, you're not going to make this mistake because you know what day of the week it is. The only thing I can think, I was just thinking of this. Remember last year. The NFL Network started showing Conference USA games. Like, mm-hmm. they like randomly got a package of one Conference USA game a week. If you were at a sports bar or, or an airport bar on a Saturday and they had a bunch of games on and you saw that NFL Network logo and two teams are playing football, I wonder if you would assume at first glance that they're like showing a replay 
of an NFL game and not an actual live Conference USA game. I would, I would think you would you would be able to to, to pick up on that, but I think most of our audience. Um, basically, we've got time for one more question, and I want to go with a timely one where we can maybe use a little bit of humor to diffuse a scary subject. Dear Stu, this is from Gordon in Athens, Georgia. So that tells you what answer he wants us to give here. Dear Stu and Bruce, if you are forced to be quarantined in a college for in one college town for the next year, which would you choose and why? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I think you should go first because you had more ten- more chance to think about this. Mm. And obviously, you can't. I've always say, said you can't say Stanford or Cal because it's close to where you live. Or like Miami, just because I want to be quarantined in Miami. Um, yeah, sure or Hawaii know. and hang out with Todd. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't count, does it? Um, if you be forced to quarantine at one college town for next year, which would you choose? Why? Um, and yeah. <laughs> like you can't say UCLA, right? Like we we have I to can, throw I'm away. I'm not going to say UCLA or USC, and I'm just thinking as like. There's been times where I've been at like a city for like three days for TV before the game. Like I remember I felt like I spent a week at Ohio State and, um, you know, I made some relatively bad like lunch choices. It was like, all right, I'm walking to this. I'm going to go to the sandwich place or whatever that wasn't, you know, like it depends where you stay and if you know the city. Um, I'm going to give you an answer and it's going to blow some people's minds. Because there's a certain fan base that has made up their mind that I hate them and da 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 But I have to actually say, I think top of my list would be Ann Arbor, Michigan. Oh, I thought you were going to say be- Iowa. Iowa would be good too, but like I'm trying to think of a city where, like, they're, they're, believe me, there's lots of like tiny little college towns that I love spending a day or two in. Auburn, Clemson, you name it. Do I want to be quarantined there for a whole year? And dicey. Ann Arbor has enough going on. It's like a cool, cool town, regardless of whether there's a college football team that plays there or not. Uh, I could definitely see myself living there for a year. I would put on a lot of weight because I would be constantly going to Zingerman's. But, uh, but, but, you know, I think that strikes the right balance between not, it's not Los Angeles or Chicago or whatever, but it's also not a tiny remote college town. It's a good cosmopolitan college town yeah i i mean it's weird i these are places i probably wouldn't have thought of living but like when you know as i was kind of kicking around stuff um you know i could could definitely see living in colorado or or utah for a little while i mean those are those are you know like feel like they're very healthy environments where you can run around the you know and there's there's a lot of stuff going on in, in them as well um so I would I would put those two on uh, high on my list I guess I mean I basically feel like I spent a year in Oxford I mean talk about you know gaining weight I mean everything is sweet tea and it's it's heavy meals um, you know I guess if I had to pick one I might say Salt Lake City Salt Lake City's great I, I don't actually think of it as a college town I think of it as a major city but. Yeah, and that's probably um, true. Maybe that's not there. fair of me to do that. Like, I, I shouldn't have been able to say Austin. I, I caught myself by not saying Austin. As for Athens, which I'm sure Gordon wanted us to say, I think Athens is a great town. Uh, I have spent some time there. Um, you basically almost lived there for, for five years. I lived in Atlanta for five years. We would go to Athens every so often. 
Athens strikes me as a place. I could be totally wrong. I don't live there. Seth Emerson's going to kill me for saying this. But that feels like a place that is maybe more geared toward the college students themselves, right? Whereas I think you could be in Ann Arbor or any number of other places, have no connection whatsoever to the college, it'd be fine. I feel like in Athens, that's more a place where everything revolves around UGA. Okay. Except for where, except for for the music scene that REM came out of. All right, uh, and as I said, as always, send your questions to the AudiblePod at gmail dot com. Yeah, I mean, thank you guys for your for stepping it up last week. We got a way more questions than we had been recently, and some of them I still want to get to, and we will. But but keep keep hitting us up. Um, gosh, next week is the NCAA tournament. This is Selection Sunday coming up, and it's just so. This is this this is the most bizarre backdrop to an NCAA tournament I can possibly imagine. I wonder. I just I don't know. I wonder if we'll be all talking about our brackets, or we'll still be talking about all this other stuff. We'll see. But if the games uh, we'll happen, see. I suspect we'll still be talking about our our brackets. I can already picture the the the, the column somebody's gonna be writing off that first game about the return to normalcy. The words return to normalcy will be used very high up in the, maybe in the first paragraph of that story uh, once they actually tip off the ball. All right, we'll see you next time. If you enjoy the Audible, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and a rating if you could, too. It helps us get the word out. Our producer is John Hayes. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on Spotify or Apple Music. Follow me on Twitter at SLMandel. Follow Bruce at BruceFeldmanCFB. And if you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, what are you waiting for? You can get 40% off an annual subscription by using this link, theathletic.com slash theaudible. That's 40% off your subscription to The Athletic. Yeah, we'll talk about it for you.